0: A lot of what I do, and again another factor that I love about both my jobs, is, is teamwork. I love working with people and I think if you're, you know, you have a kind of, one of the great things about being part of a team is that you look after each other and you're fair. So just how as a manager you'd always want to support your teammates, you would want them to, you know, reciprocate and think about the impact on their kind of colleagues who will have to pick up their work or on you. So it's about kind of just being open and, and communicating.
1: Welcome to the Big Career Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, and that leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, middle class people leading our organizations. I absolutely believe we need to change this, and I do think we can. And one of the ways of doing so, is, in my hope, is that many of you listening right now to this podcast will eventually progress to the most senior leadership positions possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place. But to make this practically possible, I also run a social enterprise to provide the practical support in order to get there. So beyond the podcast, I'm the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus, which is all about the practicalities of supporting parents to get to those more senior roles through equal career progression, but also do it in a way that works for them rather than emulating types of working that we've done 50 years ago. So a few updates. We now have a free resource section on the website where you can download helpful toolkits such as on returning from maternity leave, securing a promotion as a working parent, applying for a flexible working request, or managing dual career couples. All that is on leadersplus.org. I'm also delighted that you can now apply to the Cross-Sector Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme for the cohort starting in November. Applications close on the 29th of October, 2023, and we have 60 spaces available. Last year, a really large proportion of Those spaces were taken up by podcast listeners and I would be delighted to see many of you apply. It is a nine-month career development programme for working parents where you connect with like-minded working parents who love their careers and their kids and don't want to sacrifice one for the other. You will get a personal senior leader mentor and structured thinking time to work out what you want for your family and career and also get that practical support to get there. All the details are on leadersplus.org forward slash apply. In This episode, I'm talking to Leaders Plus fellow Jasmine Islam about how she holds down not one, but two big jobs alongside young children, what she's learning about setting boundaries and how she's implementing that in her own life. Enjoy the conversation.
0: Great. Thank you, Verena. So my name's Jasmine Islam. I'm a consultant, a medical consultant in the NHS. I work in the area of infectious diseases and microbiology. And I also work for UKHSA, which is sort of public health government body. And in my family, I have my husband, Kieran, and my two lovely children, um, Rory and Noah, who are four and 16 months old.
1: Wonderful. And you've just shared before we came on air, you've only five months ago come back from maternity leave. So you know exactly how to do it or not, how not to do it, depending on how much you learn. And can you just give us a flavor? What do you do? So do you have basically patient clinics all day? Or do you have a lot of desk work? Just picture what your day looks like.
0: Yeah no so I think my jobs I would say they're very diverse. Um, I'm incredibly lucky. I work with two great teams, um, which makes things a lot easier. But it is very diverse. So from the NHS side, that's a mixed job. So a combination of seeing patients on the wards, with clinics, with being within the department, with being in a lab. So it's it's all those different areas, um, and I do that three days a week, and then also occasional weekends, and then with my Sort of UKHSA post. That's more of a research policy job. So that tends to be um, desk based predominantly. But that is a combination from working from home, but also going in, into our office um, base. So it's a really incredibly diverse job set of jobs that I do, spread across a five day week.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And Abritt, you have lots of people that you need to set boundaries with because they all want something from you, because you have so many different roles and responsibilities. I'm interested in terms of, I guess, what's the biggest change in the way that you work now compared to before you went on your first maternity leave?
0: Yeah, so I think I suppose before I went on my first maternity leave, I was still a, a junior doctor in training. We call them junior doctors, but you know, they go. I'd be, I was a junior doctor for almost 15 years before I became a consultant. So I was right at the end of that process, but I was just doing a purely what I would say clinical hospital based post. And I didn't have, I said before, children, I didn't have any children. So I actually, um, you know, was able to give a lot of my time exclusively to my job. And I did. You know, clinical, I had mixed in with some research. So there was some variety within there. um But I would often, you know, do quite long hours, um, as lots of doctors do, as lots of other professions do. And that would be fine. I'd be able to work into the weekends as well to get things done. But then, you know, clearly then coming, I came back from my first maternity leave. That was my maternity leave happened during the pandemic. So I, you know, was on maternity leave when it happened. Obviously, the pandemic affects everyone but it was my speciality infectious diseases so it was you know I really I was asked to come back early and um, a couple of times very early on in the pandemic to help more century with response but at that point my eldest was only four months old so I said no um, which I actually found very hard to do because I think I've always had work high up but similarly you know I wanted to be there with my little boy I did end up still coming back early from maternity so I came back at nine months instead of the 12 months I would planned to take and that was quite hard because I came straight on to um went straight back into working on a COVID unit so I came back initially three days a week so I think you know already that was different because I came back only three days a week having always worked full-time really long hours but you know I thought you know I, I wanted to come back in that way so I could carry on looking after my little boy so that was a change but you know you know to be honest it was like a huge shock to my system and I think I've always managed to do a few different things you know maybe not always as well as I'd like to but juggle things whether that's research academia with clinical or different things and I kind of just assumed yeah that would be the same like I'd have a baby you know all the way through my first maternity leave I kind of co-chaired a, a COVID working group um, and I thought that would be fine but actually it was it was quite difficult. And so then when I came back, I just thought, yeah, it'll be fine coming back from maternity leave. I've taken periods out before, you know, when I did my PhD or whatever, I've I've done that. But it was completely different. It is a completely different process. So that was one of the first times where I sort of realized, actually, okay, I'm going to have to rethink about what I can and can't do and how that might look. And then I think that really helped because then coming back from my second maternity leave, by then I was working across two different jobs now. Um, So already my working patterns had changed but that did inform, you know, what I what I was able to commit to.
1: Mm. Interesting. So one thing that we we'll probably should say that um, you've been part of the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programmes, which is how we connected. And one thing we talk about a lot is about how to ask for what you need. And I was just wondering about, are there any particular examples of when what you are doing to be able to not work all hours of the day that you haven't done before you came back
0: yeah no definitely I mean I think this is an area which has been a really steep learning curve for me I think sort of default nature would be to just say yes I can do it that's fine um, or find a way to do it and now it's kind of really clear that you can't always do that you just there's only so many hours in the day and, and you can't so you have to think about prioritizing and understanding what's important to you and then sometimes just asking for help or asking your, your kind of management team if, if there are things that you need to support that. So for me, an example potentially potential I'll give is that in between my current posts coming back, um, so in between sort of finishing as a registrar and starting as a consultant, my first consultant post I took up, I thought that would be sort of a, the right fit for me. It was in a smaller hospital, but it actually turned out that, and you know, people said, oh, you know, take that post, it'll be good because you know, because it's close to where you live, you know, it's not such a bigger team, it will be better when you have small children. But you know, in reality, for me, I realised reasonably that actually, it probably wasn't going to be the right fit. And what I thought would have worked for me just didn't. And the working pattern that I was doing there was making it incredibly difficult to do the two jobs. And, um, you know, it was kind of, I didn't have fixed days for my NHS days, I didn't have fixed days for my UKHSA work. And it meant that, often I was having to swing wildly between the two, which meant that you know it was really hard for me to really do anything well, I felt, in either job. So I actually left that, and when I then went to take up my new post where I work now in the NHS, it was better because I was able to fix my days. So for me, I could say to them, I'll be here in the hospital on Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, and then every Tuesday, Thursday, I will do my UKHSA work. So that was one thing. It was kind of negotiating those days. So for me, that works well because it means that on these days, people know where I am, you can still contact me, but it's clear that I won't really always kind of be able to answer. So that's kind of a boundary thing. So asking for fixed days was really good. And then I suppose, you know, more recently, really importantly, my eldest has just started school, he's only started school, he's been a week at school now. And so really not very long. And This has probably come out of the Leaders Plus course. I would never have ever thought of asking, you know, my team in the NHS, is there any way actually I could work for home for the week that I'm settling him? Because I wasn't down to do any kind of consult ward work um, during that time. So I could do my job remotely and be it's not classic. But it meant that by asking for that, I was able to do the drop offs and pickups and then just work in between and then do a little bit more work after I picked him up. And that was just really great. And it was great that my department um, were really supportive. And it's a really stressful time at the moment. You know, during that week, there were juniors and consultant strikes. But it was brilliant that they supported me to be able to do that. And I would never have thought that that would be a thing, really, that I could ask for that. So, yeah, I think definitely having the confidence to ask for fixed days and also to work from home for that just about short period was really good.
1: Mm. I'm really interested to understand what happened what really shifted your think- thinking do you remember the moment at all when you suddenly i mean was it a sudden moment where you thought like no it is okay to ask for stuff like this was it a pivotal thing that made you switch your thinking
0: so i don't think it was i mean i can't remember a specific event that you know made me suddenly think but i think probably having the discussions through leaders plus um really helped I also think working with really great teams has made a, a huge difference to me. So having incredibly supportive colleagues and bosses in both my jobs, I'm really lucky, and um, I really enjoy, you know, my jobs. Um, I work at, at King's College in London, and um, sort of big hospital, but we're a very new team, but a really great bunch of colleagues. And then my job with UKHSA is a research post, and um, with the SIREN study, which is a huge. It's probably the biggest sort of research study in healthcare workers and um, in the world. And again, I think just having really supportive colleagues who understand it, who understand what you're going through, or who also have young children, I think has been really helpful in terms of allowing you to feel that, that you can. And I think that's really important. It's kind of a cultural situation. And I hope that things like Leaders Plus will make it easier for people to, you know, have those discussions. That's, that's one of the great things about the programme.
1: So you can tell me to cut this out if you'd rather I didn't say things like that. But my impression of the NHS is that it can be very hierarchical and the consultants are the people who know it all and who are present and who are on it. And they are the ones you go to with the answers. And it seems to me that by saying that actually you maybe couldn't be the person who solves it all and you do need to leave at it home, it's, it is a risk I mean, and not a real proper risk a realistic risk but it really you have to change the identity of that consultant role a bit to tell me if I'm going in the wrong direction but that's my thinking as I hear you speak and I just wonder if that is true and it may not be what is it that gives you the confidence like why do you know that it's okay to take the risk to ask for things that maybe don't fit with the stereotype of consultant
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily sort of the stereotype of a consultant. It's I think it's more an organisational thing with the NHS, and I think that you know, I suppose the NHS still is very hierarchical, and I think some of that's you know not great, but an element of that remains because it's to do with sort of experience, and there's a reason that consultants are consultants and junior doctors are junior doctors because you know you, you go through all this training. As I said, you know, I did it was it was almost 15 years from the time I started and so 20 years since I joined medical school before I became a consultant and that's a lot of time lots of exams lots and the reason that you do that is to accrue that experience so it's hierarchical in a way that I think you know some structure that needs to be in but there are obviously aspects about hierarchy that are not great and you should feel that and where that's not great is where people don't feel they can ask questions or they don't feel supported and I think hopefully that aspect is changing but I think it's probably more slightly a manifestation of the kind of culture of the NHS, you know, and I don't, obviously we don't want to get into a political thing about the NHS here because I think it could be going for ages, but, you know, ultimately it's a organisation, it's a great organisation, you know, I'm very lucky to do the job I do and I love, I really love my job genuinely. Um, but it's an organisation that's running, we don't have the right resources, we don't have the right capacity. So, and I think that's been the case for a long time. And a lot of people go into it for the NHS because you care and you want to look after patients and so you give a lot of extra will and you work a lot of extra hours to make sure that happens to make sure they're safe because we don't often have all the resourcing and staffing we need so when you're in that kind of environment i think it can be really tricky then to say oh yeah by the way i'm not going to be in for this week because i'm going to be working from home because you know i need to be there to pick up my children and because then a bit of you thinks oh gosh like maybe my colleagues will think well she's not you know well, we're all having to be in and, and you know, they're not there. So I think it's that kind of feeling of making sure that you're kind of putting your weight and that maybe the NHS isn't a kind of, it's not like some of the other sort of maybe private organisations where they have the capacity or working patterns are like that. You can't just stop doing clinics. You can't just stop seeing people who come in through casualty. It's, so it's the nature of the work and, and needing to have that cover that I think can make it difficult sometimes to feel you you know, can ask for those um, differences.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Can you give an example or just illustrate how you, and I know it's not easy, and you told me before coming on that you're not not perfect in doing this either, but I feel like there is a lot to learn from you. This tension between not letting your colleagues down, I think is particularly astute in, in your sector, partly because of the resourcing issues that there are. And a lot of doctors and nurses I've spoken to say that they find it really hard to leave on time when they know all the things that are on the list and how full the department is. How do you square that for yourself? Because you do need to look after yourself. You do want to go home at some point to see your children. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, I think it's really interesting. And I just was in a meeting yesterday with lots of other consultants who are educational supervisors. And this exact point came up about sort of a slight change in people wanting to very much leave on time and then the work doesn't get done and other people have to pick it up and and so it's obviously it's an ongoing thing in the NHS and probably other organizations and it's a balance I think for me what has changed is having my children so I you know beforehand I would definitely stay you know I've, I've done jobs the year that I got the year that I actually got married I was in a job where I would regularly stay for an extra three or four hours every day and um, which was way too much But actually now I want to see my children before they go to bed. I I don't see them for the whole day, Um, you know, as a lot of parents do. And perhaps I still sometimes have the, you know, parent guilt. And, you know, I've had that I, you know, the children go in at breakfast club. Rory goes into breakfast club. um, Now at 7.30, he doesn't sometimes get picked up till six, quarter past six. And our youngest, no, he's only like 16 months and he's the same. He's in childcare from quarter to eight until six. So it's a kind of long days. Um so I really want to see them, you know, and the the reality is that, you know, the work we have people that do the on-call. So from five, you know, we have someone in to, to cover the kind of acute work. And I'm also on that on call routine, you know, one in of many six, seven, I think it's like more seven, eight weeks. So you know during that time you're there to cover, but on the other days, I need to get home because I want to see them. So that's my thing. And then for example, you know, this week we've had a big, a big kind of research grant go in. So this is with my UKHSA job. And it's meant that on a couple of nights, you know, I've had to get home from my clinical job. We do bath and bed, put all the kids to bed, have our dinner. And then I start working at nine and I finish at midnight. And that's the choice that you make. And it's something you have to kind of review and keep looking at. Because for me, I don't think I can do that every single day. It's not sustainable. Having two children is (laughs) exhausting. I'm exhausted. But yeah, so that's how I do it for me. And it's the need to be able to see them.
1: I don't usually interrupt a podcast for ads, but as you know, I really passionately believe we need more people who don't look like your stereotypical white male stale middle class leader works nine to five in decision making roles. And so I just want to take a minute to very warmly invite you to apply to our cross sector fellowship program. That is, if you're listening right now, you're caring for your kids, you do find the juggle tough at times but also you do have big dreams for your career and if that's you then I would love it if you would put an application in. Any questions just get in touch. I've asked a past fellow Jennifer Crowley to share with you what she got from the experience. All the details are on leadersplus.org forward slash apply. This is Jennifer's experience.
2: Hi I'm Jennifer Crowley Global Director of Responsible Business with Kin and Carta. We are a digital transformation consultancy with colleagues around the world and really, really proud to be the first listed B Corp on the London Stock Exchange. I completed the Leaders Plus um, program in 2021 as I was returning from Matley with my second child. It was game changing for me. I feel so lucky to have met it to have met the program, to have met Verena, to have met the structure, the preparation, and the diligence that goes into every minute of every call. It is such good value. Why has it been game-changing for me? I met it at the right time. I was really clear that I did not want to repeat that dip that I experienced from my first maternity leave. My ambition was higher than ever. And so I needed to be quite intentional about seeking out the support that my mind, my intellect, and my emotions needed to get back in the game as I was returning from mat leave. The people that I met on the course have become allies and uh, co-conspirators for life. I hope we've met in real life a few times, but the hybrid nature of the Leaders Plus program has really worked for schedules and for deadlines and for all of the competing demands of life. My advice to anyone considering whether they deserve such a support program, is don't hesitate. Do prioritize, do fight for the time to get clear on why and how you will work it. It's a muscle, and so the structure, the insight, the research that the course brings you does deserve that time to to reflect upon and to incorporate into how you go about your work into the annual targets that you will set as part of your role. I offer my absolute support and encouragement to anybody that's considering the program. Very specifically, it equips you with knowledge, it reduces your doubt, and it galvanizes your ambition into a very constructive plan. I don't think it's any coincidence that I'm now in my dream role, working with Kinnan Carter's executive board to really solidify our ESG ambitions, to recertify for B Corp and to go on and do great things for our clients in the context of the climate and diversity and inclusion.
1: And on a practical level, when you do, so for example, when you did have to say, you know, I'd really like to work from home during that week, Of school start is there anything that you do that you have a three-point plan of how you usually make these requests to land i guess i'm trying to distill any tips to listeners who might want to emulate your approach yeah and
0: so the honest answer is no i think that's something that i definitely need to get better at um you know utilizing or finding tools and ways to think think these things through so i didn't i think it was probably just for me identifying that this was a possibility and then thinking about what that might look like in reality. So would I really be able to cover my work? What could I do? What couldn't I do? And then just having that discussion with my kind of head of department and just asking. And, you know, if she'd have said, actually, look, no, you know, we can't that week. It's really busy. When I made this request, it was before we knew there would be junior doctor and consultant strike that week. But if she's turned around and said, look, actually, you know, I can't, you know, we can't, then I would have said, okay, no, that's fine. No problem. I'll You know, I'll take it as annual leave. And then I just won't be here, you know, I won't then be there at all. Um, so I think it was just thinking about what it would look like, what the alternatives are, and being prepared to, you know, be happy with, with both of those things.
1: And yeah, in my experience, 95% of people are actually quite supportive when you do it this way. But there are always, and maybe not in your current job, but there are sometimes people who will just... Take a pause or raise an eyebrow to make you realize that they don't like that you're asking for that. Have you ever had that? And if yes, how do you deal with that?
0: So I haven't in that specific situation, um, and that's probably manifest by the fact that I'm generally, I have historically not been very good at asking for things. So I probably, you know, but I've definitely seen it. I guess what I would say is that. It's very cliche, but if you don't ask, you don't know. And maybe that's something that I have come around to thinking more. You know, sometimes you don't do it and then you see other people doing it and you just think, oh, like, how come they've got it? But then you realize, well, I never asked. (laughs) So if you don't even ask, you you won't know. I think it's just if you have someone who raises an eyebrow at the request, I would feel if you feel comfortable to perhaps just sort of say, oh, you know, I can see that is there something about this That's not clear, or is there something that you're not happy with? Can you let me know and try and identify why? That's definitely one option. But I think the other is that, you know, if they raise an eyebrow, but they still say, yes, that's fine, well, then that's probably more their issue. And ultimately, you've got what you want from that situation. So, yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And on the flip side, you're also obviously very senior. You're often the most senior person in the room. If someone wants to ask you for something, do you have any top tips of what they need to do to increase the likelihood of of someone like you saying yes?
0: Yeah, so I think it's probably exactly, it's kind of a mirror of essentially what I did in, in a way. I think I would always want to be supportive of, of my trainees and or of, of other colleagues. But I think it's about being, um, when someone comes to me, I, it's important that they've kind of thought the process through and that what they're asking, again, they've got a plan, they've got a clear rationale for why they want to do it. Um, where that's possible, clearly there are situations where you might not. Something might happen as an emergency, and then I'm not expecting you know people to come in with, with a kind of you know really bulletproof situation. But I think it's about being honest, and I think it's about being reasonable and fair. A lot of what I do, and again another factor that I love about both of my jobs is, is teamwork. I love working with people, and I think if you're you know you have a kind of one of the great things about being part of a team is that you look after each other and you're fair. So. Just how, as a manager, you'd always want to support your teammates. You would want them to, you know, reciprocate and think about the impact on their kind of colleagues who will have to pick up their work or on you. So it's about kind of just being open and, and communicating.
1: Mm, absolutely. And just say you've still got reasonably fresh memories of being on maternity leave and coming back. Um, what have you done to make sure that you set those boundaries? or that you were well set up the second time you've come back that you haven't done first time run how did you evolve your return from maternity experience
0: yes yeah. so just in terms of the two maternity leaves themselves my first one was really easy by comparison i had like the baby who slept the baby who weaned really well he was you know super easy really happy really smart you know very very easy and whereas actually the return from maternity leave was really stressful and um, coming back on into the pandemic, being out, not really realizing how de- de-skilled you would be, totally different. So for the second time around, I was very mindful, look, when you go on maternity leave, don't try and do loads of things like, cause you can't do, you just need to get, few, you know, just enjoy your maternity leave and don't worry about doing too much work. You can use your kit days and things like that. But actually I had quite a tough maternity leave the second time round. I had a baby who, you know, actually love, loved a bit, but he... He wasn't a big fan of sleeping. He didn't really sleep properly until he was 11, 11 and a half months. And he didn't want to wean. He didn't want to take a bottle. Like he just didn't, you know, it was very, very different to my first. So I think that I just had a a much bigger sense of, okay, you just need to be easy on yourself. You just need to be realistic about what you can and can't achieve. I did come back full time the second time. You know, I came back five days, five days a week from the get-go into these two different jobs but my kind of NHS job were very good. I wasn't sort of straight back onto the on-call rota. Um, they gave me, you know, the space for a couple of weeks to just a month actually to settle in, to, to get, you know, so to get, get back into things. Mm-hmm. From the research side, from UK, actually, from Siren, again, that job, that was a little bit more full on when I came back. But actually, I've got very supportive colleagues, and they understood that, you know, I would have to go, and, you know, might have to go and get the kids. I, there might be days I need to do other things, so it's, I, I just was a lot, I think, more honest with myself about what I could actually do. And I think having those boundaries about fixed days and knowing your hours and things definitely helps. I mean, having said all that, it's only been in like the last month. I've kind of thought, oh, like that's four or four, four, five months back from to leave. I'm just starting to kind of find my feet again. So I think it's like a bit of a everything's a learning, learning lesson, really.
1: The other thing I wanted to pick a little bit was about you doing those two jobs, because I think that's quite rare and that requires master or mistress, I guess, boundary setting. And I was just wondering when people contact you during the, let's say, saying, "Oh, right, this patient needs urgent reviewing or something like that. How do you manage that without your days blending completely between the two different jobs?
0: Yeah, so I think, again, it comes back to having amazing colleagues and having kind of a clear process of what my work is. So, for example, this week I am on kind of a sort of award type job, but I'm actually job sharing with another consultant. So, we share the kind of work. So, actually, it means that at the end of every day, if I'm in, I'll email her with, okay, these are the people I've seen, these are the things that are outstanding, and then could you do this? And she does the same for me. And then, so it just means that we have a clear idea. So, then it means on my days when I'm not in the NHS, I won't be contacted about acute clinical things because they know that I'm not there, and there's a whole team of other consultants who, um, you know, are there to try and cover the clinical work. And I think for the other part of the job is harder in a way because that's not a clinical job, and sometimes that work can spill into your your clinical time. But again, I'm very lucky that the job that I do with with Siren and, and UKHSA, I kind of sit in a very just a really lovely role it's kind of a sort of strategy and research sort of leadership role and I don't have full oversight over doing a big piece of work so that gives me means that I'm never really solely responsible for one huge thing other people are we work very closely together so it's unlikely that I'll get pulled into something very urgent that just needs me so it's, it's about working it's like kind of team working and ownership yeah which I think works works really well you know, I think I've said it earlier as well, just to be clear, I'm pretty off at boundary setting and it's something I definitely need, need to work on. But I think I'm getting there. You know, it's hard. And I think it's I'm at a very early stage, even though I've been a doctor for several years. I'm at a very early stage of that to understand that, you know, as you say, with my speciality, I have two specialities: infectious disease and microbiology. I have two posts, NHS and UKHSA. And you know, I have two children, and I have there's all these different things. I always feel like I've got kind of the rule of twos, lots of in, in my life. So it's it's trying to get better at sort of setting those boundaries and know where sometimes those boundaries have to like loosen slightly. And then so you have hard and soft boundaries, and ones that absolutely can't like have to get the kids to school at a certain time in the morning, or I have to be there to pick them up. And so that's kind of a sort of evolving process. But the other thing I would say on that is just that again, for myself, being more honest with myself about like, can you actually really do these things? You know, the, the onus is sometimes to say, Oh, yeah, I can do that. Or I'd read that sounds really interesting. I'd like to do that. Or maybe I can be involved in this. But actually, in reality, you know, I don't have the time. And so that's an area that kind of trying to work on being really clear on what are the things I actually want to kind of continue and follow. And so not taking on too much if you're not going to be able to deliver. Mm.
1: And practically, is there any behavior that you are doing now or any words you use that you're using now all the time that five years ago did not exist in your vocabulary or in your behavior?
0: I think just saying, actually, no, I don't have capacity to do that. But this is a person who could do it, and they'll probably do it better than me because they've got more time and skill. So I, I think being honest with yourself and not being afraid to say sometimes, actually, no, I just, I don't think I can do it um now, but maybe I would like to do it in the future. But right now, I just need to focus on these things. So being prepared to say no. And I think it's a very cliche thing. People always say, oh, you should just say no. It's very hard in reality, particularly if, you know, you've got your manager saying, oh, can you get this done? And I need it done by tomorrow. And you're thinking, oh, actually, I'm supposed to be at this kind of parents' evening all evening, and I really don't have any time. But I think you just have to say that I can't do it. I could do it probably by the end of the week, but I can't do it by tomorrow.
1: Hmm. I find that a lot of people, this is getting very psychologically, so, sorry, but I feel a lot of people don't say what they really want or need or don't say, but don't set boundaries because of almost the inner question around whether they are worth it, you know? And I just wonder. It sounds like yes, you haven't got the boundary setting order asking for help sorted all the time, but you're doing it. Actually, you're doing it. What makes you feel that you deserve it? I guess.
0: So I think that you know, I, th- I think that's quite a hard one. You might you probably edit, edit a bit of this out because I think you know, if I'm going to be completely honest, I definitely suffer from imposter syndrome. You know, I know lots of the people we have on these on the podcast do. It's a very common trait and. I think that whole thing about do you deserve it, often I still sort of think, yeah, I'm not sure I do. Like maybe I should just be volunteering for everything because there's a sort of inherent feeling that like if I say no, they'll just think I'm rubbish or I'm not willing or I'm not a team player or it was to demonstrate weakness. And I, you know, I'm not able to deliver. But I think it's a funny thing that it's coming around to that aspect of just probably feeling really exhausted a lot of the time and just realizing well actually but like I actually can't do everything you you, there's only so many hours in your day and so then just saying so it's better to just be honest like people don't mind I think in the end if you just say I can't do it if you can give a good reason why and it's better to be honest than pretend you can do it and then you know deliver something late or it not be quite right so I think it's maybe just if that has come a little bit through time and experience that sometimes you just have to say no and I think but it's a process that you I think that you're always learning um yeah evolving
1: brilliant thank you very much we're coming towards the end of our podcast and as you know we always ask at the end for practical things someone can do in five minutes so the question for you is can you share a few practical things that someone who listens to this and wants to become more courageous in asking for what they need could try out or play with in the next week. So just really small practical things they could experiment with.
0: So yeah, I mean I think sometimes just carving out some time for yourself just to, to have a think through what you actually need and what you actually want is great. So maybe setting aside, you know, half an hour of your day and it could just be at the end of the day, it could be at the morning on your commuting, and just maybe trying to work out exactly what it is that you want to do. So just write down maybe two or three things that you think look actually these are these are my key priorities and and this is what I want to focus on I think that's one thing another thing would be just having conversations having conversations over a cup of tea having conversation after work over a drink with your family and just asking them you know what do you think where do you think we are now I mentioned in brief at the start uh, my husband but I couldn't do anything without him um you know, we do a lot of things as, as a team and um, he works full time in the NHS as well. He's a physio. But, you know, without him, I wouldn't be able to kind of stay up late working if he puts the kids to bed or I wouldn't be able to stay late in the hospital because he picks them up those days. And so I think it's important just spend, put some time aside. If you're thinking of doing something new or you're, you've got a problem, then then talk to your family or your friends about it, because sometimes they give insight into things in a way, like the freshest thinking that you may not never have thought of. And then my final thing is, and I know this comes up a lot in Leaders Plus, but I agree, it's it, you give yourself the permission to be brave. Sometimes it's really hard to walk away and to say no. I like this isn't right for me, and sometimes you have to take a chance. And you know, having been someone who's not great at that you know, I, I did do that. I found that I'm doing that increasingly more these days. And it can be a really great thing. It can be really liberat- liberating. So just give yourself the benefit of the doubt sometimes and think, yep, yeah, it's okay to say no. And um, one point that I meant to say is that whatever kind of working pattern you decide to do, and um, whether that's full time, whether that's part time, as extended hours, you should never feel you know guilted into it or be made to feel bad by other people because I know that some people have said to me oh you know gosh you're going back full-time and you're putting your kids into breakfast club and after school club and or shouldn't you just be working two days a week what about the children and the reality is I think both our children are great and they're doing fine and I've actually worked really hard and to get where I am and for me working full-time But being back home in the evenings for them and being here at weekends is what works. And, you know, I think the children are happy and I'm happier for it. So you should always just feel whatever you decide, you have your reasons for doing it. And you should never feel embarrassed or obligated to explain that to people.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jasmine. If people want to find out more about your work or connect with you, if you would like that, where should they go, if anywhere?
0: So I've got you can contact me on Twitter. I'll give you my oh it's actually called X now, isn't it? On my X handle, so so really happy you can follow me and you know, send me a message. Um I think I also have a LinkedIn profile. Don't use that quite as much in the NHS, but definitely through Twitter is always a good good place to start.
1: Perfect. Thank you very much, Jasmine. Lovely to have you on. Great, thank you. Thank you for listening and spending this time with me today. If it has been helpful to you, but you would like more support from others to help you develop your career and enjoy your family in a realistic way, then I would love for you to consider joining our fellowship programme, which is a high impact programme helping you progress your career with little ones in tow. All the details are on leadersplus.org forward slash apply. On the fellowship, you will get access to an amazing group of peers who all have experienced bringing up kids whilst progressing their career. You'll get access to brilliant role models who've been there, done that, support with practical challenges, for example, workload management or say no. And you'll be given time to develop your vision and make a plan for what you want to achieve in your career, but also in your family life. And you'll do that in small group sessions. In our last cohort, more than half have got promoted or have got senior responsibility, more senior responsibility by the end of the program, for example, a board role and they have all got involved in some shape or form in driving by the change for working parents. In terms of the impact on work-life balance, there has been an increase of, let me think, was it 61 or 59? 61 or 59%, I need to look up the data, in terms of the self-perceived ability to manage work-life balance, a real massive impact. So if you want to join, then do put in an application. we have got until the 29th of October, 2023 and all the info is on leadersplus.org forward slash apply.